0: or Gaming Fighter Podcast. Simply shuffle up the cards, ask a question, and let the content roll. Get yours today at poddex.com. Once again, that is poddex.com. And make sure to use the promo code TALKPOP, that's T-A-L-K-P-O-P, for 10% off your order. This episode is powered by
1: Poddex.
0: What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. It's time once again for Talking Pop. It's the podcast of all things pop culture. I'm your host, the franchise. Because will be joining me in a little bit, I want to let you know, I think our sponsors, Anchor and also Poddex were sponsoring this episode. We got merch right now, guys. Perfect time to get some merch, especially right now. Spring is in the air. We do have hoodies. you want to support the podcast, go to teespring.com slash store slash Talking Pop. And make sure to grab yourself a hoodie where our logos on them. You can get it with the classic logo. I will work on getting the new logo up soon. But you can get a Alphonse shirt or a Bico shirt. We have face masks because we're still in a pandemic. So make sure to go to Teespring.com and make sure to you get yourself a shirt. Support the podcast. And also, right now, if you use the promo code TalkPop at checkout, you save yourself five bucks off your order. So don't don't walk out on this great deal. And also, I do want to recognize that we have a Twitter. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at pop talking, one word. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash talking pop. We do links to the episodes there as well. All right, let's get to it. On to it's like I said. It's, at the time of this recording, it is March 16. Also known in the professional wrestling world, it is what 316 Day. And of course, 316 Day. If you're not a wrestling fan or a wrestling nerd. Or if you grew up in the night, late, mid-90s, of course, the Attitura 316 is significant because it's named after Austin 316. And of course, WWE put, put out all the stops. Of, right now, they're currently celebrating Stone Cold Week because it's, they're celebrating also the 25th 25th anniversary of Stone Cold Steve Austin as well in WWE. Um, pretty much, you know, January 1996. After, you know, stunning Jay Destiny Roberts, Stone Cold to Austin did that famous promo when he said, pretty much, make fun of, you know, Jesus and I try to be a born again Christian. Pretty much, he's like, sit there and you thump your Bible, it's not going to get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 said, I just whooped your ass. And pretty much that took the Stone Cold character to New Heights after coming to WWE early on. Being paired with Ted DiBiase as the so-called ringmaster, of course, that character fell flat with him. So he decided to come up with this character who's cold-blooded, didn't care about anybody, being his own man. That's where he came up with Stone Cold Steve so. Austin. And then the legend was born. So WWE now has been recognizing that. I think first it started was more of like a viral thing, but then it got more and more notoriety afterwards. And WWE decided to go with it. So, right now, if you go to WD.shop, the they got, like, merchandise and stuff. Right now, they got, like, a cool legacy belt that's a lot of money. <laughs> but you got the Smoking Skull belt as well. Um, they tried promoting yesterday on Raw. They had r wearing the stuff. talk about Stone Cold Day and everything. They got, like, a whole bunch of merchandise and stuff. And I saw this video. I saw that um, Steve Austin did. Um, I don't know if you saw this little video that about the kid. Um, they did a birthday party. And the kid came out with a Stone Cold entrance. He um, did the bottle of water with the beer and then so, don't think so Awesome, being the nice guy that he is end up reaching out to him Via like a, being like internet Pretty much through zoom And surprised the kid And decided you know what He's going to send him a smoking skull bell And he's going to autograph it for him And that's why he end up doing it Doing it So that's kind of nice uh, Him doing that as well I um, thing I do want to Mention this before We get started to the main topic at hand Which was Our top favorite films of all time So we're not you know taking a list from somebody else this is our own personal lists um i did about i don't know how much bico has but i did a whole bunch of movies because i, you know, I kind of figured we did a poll pretty much on twitter and i put like what you guys want to see next you want to cover yeah like favorite tv shows favorite music and film and of course due to the poll everyone chose films I mean we did like top choices before we went like to we reviewed other lists by other, you know, you know, online publications. I think we did the Disney one by GN a few episodes back. So I kinda of figured i talked talk to me going, you know what? We decided, you know what? Let's just make a list of our our favorite films of all time. So hope you guys don't be offended by the choices that we pick. It's our choices. You know, maybe there'll be some that we have, you know, similarities. We just want to give you guys an idea what our, you know, what our tastes in films are. I mean, there's so many films throughout the years, and, you know, it was really hard for me to come up with the right choices for the films, I mean, themselves, I mean, especially with all the DVDs and, and all the movies we saw throughout the years, by <laughs> reflecting on my freaking uh, 35 years of existence, but it's like, you know, it was kind of hard. I mean, there's so many mentions I had on my list, but some I... I almost made the cut, but did not quite make the cut. So, as soon as Biko comes along, we'll go over that list. Um, I do want to do some quick, you know, pop coaching news before we get started with the topic at hand. So I just pulled up like, Combook.com and stuff, and see what's going on. Any news that throughout that day? So let me see here. What's the top story right now? Uh. See, oh, yeah, they did announce today. I think Demon Slayer did announce um, Funimation, and um, you know, Aniplex did announce when Demon Slayer, the movie, will be released in theaters in the US. And it looks like they just announced today it's going to be available in dub and subtitle. So, Aniplex America, here we go, I pulled up from animenewsnetwork.com. says there Aniplex in America? And Funimation announced on Tuesday that Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, the movie mugen Train anime, will open theaters in the U.S. and Canada on April 23rd, including in an a 4DX and IMAX screen. It says here this article is written by Alex Mateo. It also says the film will screen in Japanese with subtitles as well with English dub. Tickets will go on sale on April 9th at Funimation's website. And then it says here the film will then be on sale digitally on June 22nd on Apple TV, Microsoft Store, Voodoo, Google Play, PlayStation Store, and Amazon will begin on April 26th on Cabo 2D Microsoft Store and PlayStation Store and pretty much what's funny about it is it's actually being rated R <laughs> um, yeah it's just like I know you can watch the trailer right now for Miki Train. so pretty much this thing's actually canon was surprising enough because they announced Demon Slayer Season 2 and decided the Megan train pretty much takes place after the first season so basically to get to the idea of what second season is about you have to have to watch the Megan train it's like the first time they do a film Because so it comes with these anime films it's really interesting because sometimes anime films are not as canon because sometimes there's like they're like an original you know original story but with the creators input in mind so sometimes they'll bring like these original characters characters you're probably not gonna see in the main manga or work. So it was like one of those one-time deals. But apparently with this being an actual, the Mugen Train is actually covered in the manga itself. So that's why it's like really important because they did tease at the end of the first season about the Mugen Train. So you actually have to check it out. Because like I said, it's going to lead into Season 2 of the Demon Slayer. And so far it's like based on the article goes on and says here, the movie has been screened, began screening in Japan on October 16. The film has the highest opening weekend globally for October 16 to 18 weekend. The film sold about 3,424,930 tickets and earned about 4.6 billion, 4.6 billion, 4, yen, which Roughly, according to this, estimates to 43.85 million in Japan for the first three days. The film sold about 910,910,910 tickets and earned over 1,268,724,700 yen on its opening day alone. It's about $12.3 million on its own, making it the highest weekday opening day in Japan ever. And it says here, according to the rest of the article, says, the film also sold a total of twenty eight million tickets and earned a cumulative thirty eight point six billion yen in Japan as a Sunday. The film surpassed Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki's two thousand two film Spirit Away, its last rival for all time highest earnings in the Japanese box office history. Spirited Away earned thirty point eight billion yen in its original run, but has since earned a total of thirty one point six sixty eight billion yen after last summer's revival screenings. The film also surpassed Spirited Away as number one highest earning Japanese film of all time worldwide. It says here, the main staff members are produced television and return for the sequel film. Total Aniplex handling films distribution in Japan. The film will ship on Blu ray, This and DVD in Japan on June 16th. So, like I said, it's definitely if you're reading the manga and you enjoyed the first season of Demon Slayer, definitely go back and rewatch it. Like, I'm probably going to go back and rewatch Demon Slayer again. Because honestly, this is something that. So I'm probably gonna keep an eye out. It says their tickets will be going on sale April 9th. May I be one of the first like people to try to get the tickets because honestly, that's something I definitely will definitely go to the theaters for. Because it's like rare occasions to have these films going on like with the right now with the pandemic and stuff, like not many people are like going out to the theaters that much. So if this is something to get people to go out there, if you especially if you have a big Demon Slayer fan or big anime fan. Definitely enjoy the story and stuff. Definitely something you want to check out. Yeah, that's the thing I will definitely shell money for and to check it out because I think the last anime film we had to see was My Hero Academia: Heroes Rising. That was about last year for the lockdowns and stuff. So definitely, definitely check it out. So like I said, also check out the, the the first season if you haven't caught up yet. It's currently on Crunchyroll, Funimation. I believe it's also available on Netflix. I think I believe it's so definitely and Hulu. So that whatever you get your anime fix, definitely check it out. So. It's de- this lyric, Mr. Nugawa, you can train. Coming soon to theaters near you. And what other news? Let's see here. Let's see what else is going on right now. Scrolling through. Like I said, this is going to be about films. But, you know, oh, I did see something here that I saw that was really interesting. Um, it's like Disney Plus is adding more Star Wars content. I just pulled up something from Star Wars... Uh, so they on Star Wars from comicbook.com. It's saying here, Star Wars Jannetty Tarkovsky's Clone Wars coming to Disney+. Plus. Um, this is before you know the, the, the current Clone Wars, which has been dubbed canon. This is um, Jannetty Tarkovsky's. If you know, he's the creator of Dexter's Laboratory, Primal. So it says here... Jenny Star Wars Clone Wars comes to Disney Plus in April. Disney announced this edition during series series on Tuesday, along with the list of other April releases. From the creator Samurai Jack, the creator Samurai Jack: Primal, the series follows on Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker during the conflict that opened after attacking the clones between the Galactic Empire, Republic, and the Confederacy of Independent Systems. The series requests cards and from 2003 to 2005. is the first time to be available to watch it legally since they debuted on DVD during the same years. The Rebels hit a fan. Star Wars: Clone Wars is no longer part of the official Star Wars canon. supplanted by just Lucas and Dave Filoni's 3D anime follow-up, Star Wars: The Clone Wars. So, pretty much, like I said, it's like the episodes were like 10-minute, 3-minute episodes, and then they did a third season with those five 12-minute episodes. So, definitely check it out. That I'm looking forward to it because I think we end up like I think when me and Beaker went to like. C2E2 last year and lucky we that was the last convention we went and we actually went to a panel hosted with by um Jenny Tarkovsky He mentioned a little bit of um of his work with Star Wars and he did show some images of it from it as well when he was allowed to. Um and that's kinda cool that like, they're adding all these obscure, you know, Star Wars. It was actually not bad. I enjoyed those shorts. You know, it was you know it was his flair. like I said, because of the fact that it, the current Star Wars Clone Wars series is considered canon this is pretty much pulls it up I think that it's just a hype up you know the two years between you know the three years between you know Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith so so definitely came not for that to come over it's on April there's an article from tankobut.com so it's written by Jamie Lovett so definitely something to look forward to if you're a big Star Wars guy a big fan of Jenny Tarkovsky and his work on Dexter's Lab, Six Samurai Jack and Primal, definitely check that out as well. Um another thing too I wanted to see here as well. I'm trying to see what to pull from the news here. Um let's see here. Oh yeah. It says here PlayStation is officially shutting down PS4 communities. Um I'm not sure if you guys ever used it. I had PlayStation Four. I never did communities, but apparently they're getting rid of it. I think it was a way to get like to do like like-minded people communities and stuff like you're a fan or something. But it says here, according to articles written by Roland Bishop, it says here Sony has confirmed that the PlayStation Four communities feature will officially be discontinued. and shut down in April. The rumor, the rumor is totally surprising. However, as a reset beta patch notes for the PlayStation Four indicated, fact going away in the future communities if you're not very familiar since a social feature allow users to create groups based on specific video games or topics. In general, Sony seems to be wrapping up some of the PS4's tangled web of social features as it moves to the focus on the PS5. Of course, I probably got that email, but pretty much the email they sent was, thank you for using PS Legends Communities feature on your PS4 beginning April 2021. This feature will only be supported or available on PS4 console. However, you'll still be able to stay connected and enjoy messaging features and move, on your P- move more on your PS4 and the PlayStation app. I really didn't use it guys so I don't know if you guys were using it when the PS4 because like I said more, more Sony is starting to transition a little bit to the PS5 even though PS5 is still the most hard to find next-gen system on the market. So another thing too before we get in, before Biko joins us on hand, I want to let you know. And of course um, if you guys are watching Attack on Titan, of course the final season I'm I'm reading the manga. I haven't caught up on anime. <laughs> but, of course, um, if you guys weren't aware, like a 4.6 magnitude earthquake will hit Japan this weekend. And apparently a lot of like, studios were delayed of sending any, like I think the studio that works on a they were delayed sending something to Funimation. So they, Funimation could going to get the, the master print to bring over. So it says here in this article, it says here, just need earthquake taking place in Japan episode 73 attack time was the laser assault but we're not survey core fans because this release is so far away with previous installment the anime ending at quite the cliffhanger as Aaron takes Mika- Mikasa, Armin and Gabi hostage it's clear that the series isn't a punch. punches the final season of Hajime Isayama's franchise continues this is over on Twitter the official page for time is until fans 73 it's also going to do with Aaron in a few days the release will go live on Sunday March 21st just before Apple still 74 is made public as planned so so pretty much, they're going to release both episodes on this coming Sunday. So look at that. You're going to get a double dose of attack on Titan. But also, too, with that little earthquake in Japan, hopefully there wasn't any issues. Hopefully the people in Japan are okay. Like, no major damage was done. So no, the, the last week you never saw, but in the 10th anniversary, the, the last big earthquake and tsunami they had. you guys remember, like 10 years ago, they had a tsunami earthquake that happened. Most of the had they shut down like a facility and stuff. So yeah, so if you're not a tech, I'm telling your friends, you got plenty of time to pretty much catch up. <laughs> Alrighty, looks like Biko's here to join us.
1: Oh, sorry guys, over here preparing my fucking dinner. Uh, <laughs> no, I wanted to mention one thing, um, I took a listen to the last episode, and I think this is more of less in-house issues, but um, we're we're using a different app than where we're used to recording it, and uh, a lot of the feedback was getting fed into it, so... I want to send apologies for anyone listening to the last episode. Just because the, the quality wasn't... Uh, at least the sound quality. We, didn't, we apologize for any feedback being given on it. Um, for those aware, feedback is just like one of the two... I want to say two frequencies of both of the input and the output of the sounds are getting... They're like cross-hatching and it fucks up. So we apologize for how it sounds. But um, hopefully this sounds better this episode. But yeah. Uh, so we wanted to come... And uh, do an episode really quick About what our top 10 favorite movies are And I know I think what uh, What Fondra's was talking about earlier uh, Just how hard it is to kind of wrap your head Around so many years of film And and at least particularly um, These lists are definitely Going to be biased towards what we feel Are our favorite movies that stand out um, Individually I'm sure his list is a lot different than mine Um, I didn't do mine on the fly But like I did it in between my uh, at my lunch hour today at work, so I was able to kind of like... I think it was better that I was under pressure in that sense because uh, I think I had to make one list and then I rough drafted it and then made another one and then uh, and then two more f- films that I feel like impacted me, I had to like take out a couple. So this is kind of like, considering it's March Madness month, it's kind of like, in a sense, it resembles sort of if you were to make your own movie list, what you think should be on your top 10 it's kind of hard to come up with some because like one film may pop in your head that's like oh yeah that's my number one and then like say you're watching youtube and some other makes a, somebody else makes a list and you're like oh fuck but that movie's good so like i think a lot of people can relate out there to when they're making top 10 lists in their own right on what they feel is substantial And at least in this case it's going to be films um so let's start with number 10 and um I don't know if these numbers are due to ranking or just just ten I of our like, favorites. Like, is there like a specific? I did like pretty much like, because um, I don't have them like one's better than the other. It's just ten movies I really. really yeah, I did like ten like to like one. I don't know, to I, me.
0: Did, I did ten to one. Right. So I do have honorable mentions as well that they didn't oh, make brilliant. the cut. So idea. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to go first or you want me to go first. It's up to you. So so yeah, so pretty much you could do like from like ten to one. So, one being like your your top favorite,
1: and 10 being like your least. least Oh, oh, fuck. Well, it won't even, for me, it won't be a least. It's just 10 out of like. I don't know. I did like 25. (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. Well, I did 10. We'll go 10. Yeah. I don't have enough time. But, um. What I want to say is, uh,. I want to say for my number ten, I put Interstellar five 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 five, like four fives. I might have said too many fives, but um, that's got to be my favorite. Um, not only because of the animation and what it's worth, it, it's very beautiful. It's of the time, and I think it's it's simplistic, but the colors are amazing in it. But also being accompanied by its uh, Daft Punk's soundtrack, and and I know recently due to our last Def, our Daft Punk episode it stays fresh on the mind but watching it again after so many years it just it hits you the same way just it's sonically it's it's like a beautiful animated opera that like that incorporates such unique electronic layers and and sampling and and give it daft punks uh their iconology i like their 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 icons and, and what it means to be in electronic music, and, and what the soundscape is today, and how much they've really contributed to music overall. And to have that accompanied by such beautiful animation, it's just perfect, and, and a perfect execution of what animation could bring to the table. And it's just as much as a great soundtrack accompanying that can really help score a film. And and it, although it's it's fast in length, it, it, in, in its in its duration, it's just beautiful and. And, like, I have nothing bad to say about it just because, like, anybody who's fans of animation or anime in that aspect is going to like this. And if you're a fan of electronic music, it's, like, it's very hard to not watch this. I feel like it's it resembles just, like, what the people in the 60s felt like when the Beatles were doing those films, uh, Ticket to Ride and, like, A Hard Day's Night, like just how they felt being fans of the band but then also seeing them an actor just like elvis did when he was had his film career numerous actors and musicians who transitioned that and we're still seeing that today like at least as of today like the weekend starring uncut jewels or uncut gems even though that's not a necessarily his movie like we see musicians starring in other movies and and trying to show their i want to say their efforts in, in that uh in that type of art so that's my top 10 it wasn't that hard to come up with that like that was instantly what I wrote I, I had to um, but yeah number 10 for me that was, 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 was. Hey. alright so my number 10 I had the
0: the movie taken That's my number 10 <laughs> sorry no okay yeah, it's movie. I mean come on Um, the, it, the, the premise itself it's you know you got Liam Neeson Liam Neeson you know he's done so much in his career And, you know, this is a guy who can do so many different genres of films. But the one thing he's always, like, always great when it's performance is, like, the person, like, the action aspect of it as well. Because he could pull off any action film given his age. Um, Because here, he's playing a dad who pretty much, he was former, like... CIA or FBI or something. He was special... Yeah, on, it was just special ops. Special ops or something. And, of course, you know, he's going through a rough time because his, he and his wife are recently separated. And, of course, you know, all the troubles are raising a teenage daughter. And, of course, he's. you can tell he's almost a little overprotective as well. But, of course, her daughter having, you know, the two... They see his ex-wife with, his, with her boyfriend or something and... Um, and that whole awkwardness and stuff being in his career. He did in his career. He pretty much focused more of his career over his family. Um, and, of course, you know, his daughter, you know, she's at that age where she wants to go, you know, explore and stuff. So she ends up going with her friend and up going to this, like, European trip they planned and up going to Paris. And, of course, you know, for anyone I don't know. I haven't been to Europe, so I can't really say yeah, anything about Europe as well. But
1: i mean i mean <laughs> i'm sure they were relying a lot of on uh, stereotypes of um, i mean the what i i mean it brought a lot of like major themes of human trafficking into the forefront yeah by using i mean plot, yeah it does which, which I, I think basis a good whole job. Basis was just, yeah you know,
0: speaking out against human trafficking how wrong it is because it's still going on to this day yeah. and you know that's basically what modern day slavery is about, is through human trafficking so basically what happens is you know his daughter and her friend and a Saying like
1: Airbnb or something? Yeah, like they, they they get a hostel. Yeah, you know, just oh, like an Airbnb, I think it was. I don't know, like young twenty somethings, you know, like I'm sure it was like a it was like spring break or like a, before she goes to college, I think is it yeah, like a graduate it was, you high know, school or a lot of people who have the money to do that go take a euro trip before they start college, you know, and and, and work hard towards the degree. Yeah, so they end up doing that, and of course, you
0: know, there's that. Of course, what happens is. You made the big mistake saying, you know, they go to a stranger and to find out where they're at. And of course, when it comes to like, you know, I don't know how the game works, and usually these drug tra- the human traffickers always go after foreign, you know, tourists. Because they apparently they get the most when it comes to money. So they end up getting pursued, something happens, and of course, you know, the one thing is You get that famous line that pretty much sings in Shouts which is pretty much often parodied um, as well. Pretty much says, you know, I don't have any money but what I do have is special of skills. Special of skills I acquired for many years. I will, not f- I will find you and I will kill you. So, to me, this film speaks a lot because it's, uh, to me, it's a power film. And the action is top notch, well choreographed. The sequences were amazing. It's like him taking, you know, the lots in his own hands. Because if Interpol's not doing shit, it's him, like a dad, you know, going to find his daughter. Doing yeah, whatever it, was, it takes. It was
1: pretty badass.
0: And the stunts were amazing. Like I said, the music, the action sequences. Like I said, I don't give it too much of too much the movie away.
1: Yeah, it was, it was all mainly action. Like, it, it, the. Just, yeah, you don't want to give too much away. Just, the memes still live on to this day. Like, people still see it, like, from the phone like calls. Like I was saying like,
0: earlier, because, like, pretty much deal. those lines that he says, it's parody a lot. Yeah. To the point, of, like, Seth MacFarlane did, like, a whole, like, Kerber the Frog if he did it. <laughs> and I was taking it up from the Graham Morton show they talked about as well. Because it's, That's how popular that is. Yeah. And, you know, Liam Neeson being the actor that he is. And the way this movie was so good, it spawned two sequels as well. Mm-hmm. So the trilogy, and it's still that format still worked because it's like one of those days. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like so many genres of movies. It's like one of those action movies. Because me, I, like I like action movies. I'm more of a comedy person, or more of like a fantasy or sci-fi. But this kind of drew me in more because the way, that, like I said, the action and sequences as well, as well. And then of course, you know, the famous scene when he's driving the car and. <laughs> the stairs and stuff as well. I mean, it's like scenes that you could talk about and stuff. Like I said, definitely check out the movie. Well, you can check out the sequel as well, but the original is always to me, holds the deep spot. So that's why I, I kind of have that as my number 10. So definitely check out Taken, starring Liam Neeson. Definitely check it out as well.
1: It's, you know, check it
0: out on Blu ray or digital. <laughs> I, don't oh, yeah. think, I don't think it's on streaming anywhere, is it?
1: I don't know. No, it used to be on Netflix. But so, but you can probably buy it I haven't already. seen it in a while. But yeah, I, I mean guys, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon for a relatively decent price these days, let alone at like Target or something, or your local video like store, like even your library if it's open, might have it too. It's it's been out for like past more than a decade now to where I feel like it would be out. Like you can probably find it pretty easily or or your like second hand video stores. But um yeah, excellent. It was a, it was a good movie for the time and it helped Liam Neeson kind of rejuvenate his career. I mean, he's been acting for years now. So, like, it was nice for him to stay within the action realm, but also provide, like, some sort of depth to a character and a pretty, I want to say a pretty simple plot line and for a movie. But he made it his own. And obviously, yeah, it spawned sequels. So it was a, it was a success in the box office. And it continues. And, and I would love to see him in more films.
0: All right, all right, Biko. Cool. What's your um, um, what's your number nine?
1: See. Oh crap! Number nine. I put Parasite. Um, just because, like, that's I want to say that's the last movie I've seen in a while that I was really excited to watch. Even after seeing it win so many uh, awards at the Academy, uh, especially for Korean based directors and films, it, it was one of my top notch favorites. Uh, it still holds up. The minute it went on Hulu, I watched it again, and I still was just this... Just as impacted as I was the first time I watched it, um, I love the depth that it has with all the, I want to say the sublime themes within um, class division. Uh, the, the director who has been, I, which I can never say his name right, but he's been film, he's he's been in though, and. In the Korean film Limelight for quite some time now. And his, like, he was, he directed uh, Old Boy, which is also a very good movie. If you've seen, I mean, it spawned an English version, which is not that, it's okay. But, um, the, I would recommend seeing the original one. And, but Parasite, it, it does a great job, yeah, depicting class, uh, class imbalances, the, I want to say you're the the stereotypes that each from uh, lower income families deal with, and their different lifestyles and what they deal with, and kind of how it can intertwine. And, and as simple as what a kid just trying to learn English and getting tutored by someone who is who is apt in it, and and it just I don't want to ruin anything, but it just like the story unravels into something bigger than when it started, and and it was beautifully shot. The dialogue, I think, it presents itself so it's so sharp, yet it says so much. There, the score, just the pacing on the film, is excellent. It's very long. It's it's a pretty long film, but it doesn't feel like that once it really gets going. The beginning, what I like, what I've always liked about his films, the director. I still can't say his fucking name, uh, because I don't, don't want to butcher it. But like, what I like about his films is that yes, he he provides enough exposition within the beginning that some people might not like its pacing, but it only takes about fifteen twenty minutes, at least within this film, to start getting ramping up, and it's just as simple as uh, introductions of the families, just how fast it, it goes and and unravels, and you get so hooked onto the story that like you may have you, I feel like the the underlying themes kind of take a back seat but they're always they're always exist within each 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 part of the story and each scene as it carries and and it's such an excellent film that I'm not surprised it won all those awards I'm glad that the fucking academy really shined light on it and and really shined the light on Korean the Korean film um, industry and its media and just how well they just they fucking make know how to make a good movie and and all power and I'm so glad they swept the awards with that and and this movie is gonna always be one of my favorites just cause it's, it's damn it just hits you so hard and, and it's it's so crazy and, and what it does and what it depicts and, and how the, the levels of, of the human psyche can go and, and how how crazy it could be where you're driven into something that you thought was right and then like just how you're how I guess you could say one little white lie can take you um, but I don't want to ruin too much. But yeah, Parasite is such an excellent film. I had I had to put it at nine, just because it's the most recent for me that I've seen. But uh, but it's it's but it's the most recent film I've seen that's impacted me the most. Okay. Um, number nine for me was a little different, but
0: that's a good choice. That's a good choice. Be good, good choice. Uh, for me, number nine was the, the Transporter. Oh wow. Why I picked The Transporter because it was my introduction to Jason Statham. So, i never seen him in his other films that he did with uh, Guy Ritchie. So, I've never seen Last Lack like, of Two Smoking Barrels. He was in there as well. Uh, to me, I just remember, you know, when the trailers for this film came out. It felt like almost like a vegan aspect of it. The way, like the premise is, he's just a guy who's hired by many different organizations. He has his, like, rules of code of honor. Where he's a driver, and pretty much he has his rules. You know, you give him the job, don't look in the trunk. That's it. give him his money, do, do the job. And he has his rules. And he makes that fatal mistake of looking in the trunk. Ended up breaking that cardinal rule. And which pretty much lays the groundwork for an action-packed, non-stop, one-man army, mission against his organization, as to you got contracted to take care of his job. And, honestly, it solidified Jason Statham as pretty much, honestly, the next generation Jean-Claude Van Damme in that aspect. So that, yeah, he can fight. He can like, he can pull, do an action. So he was almost like the John claude Van Damme, being he was an English actor, and he pulled it off. Saying so even, you know, a guy in the suit can you know, take the guys out. So like I said, so it was like a, it's like a video game. Yeah. But it was a great film. It, good action sequences. I, something that you could definitely rewatch. Over and over again, I mean, Jason said, I mean, that accent, and honestly, dude, the dialogue he gives is like pretty simple dialogue, and man, the way he in that film, oh god, the choreography, amazing. Put him on the map. Put him on the map. This film kind of launched his career in He was just a supporting character. He was never like the main character, main actor. Because all other films that he was in, he was just like more like a supporting character. Like, even Guy Rich is the one who discovered him. Because I think he was like doing modeling or something
1: before. Yeah. And he was a former Olympic diver, mm-hmm. I want to say. So like, yeah, he's pretty accomplished. And I mean, he, he ended up marrying a model. Uh, the the she his wife is uh, I mean, if he's still married, but his wife is the what is her Rosie Huntington whitley from Transformers Three? Yeah, yeah, he was
0: three. I think after was. they took
1: out Megan Fox, so like then she came in. She plays that she plays that Transformer that tries to convince what's his name yeah Witwicky or whatever his name is Sam yeah. yeah yeah so we had to find out that yeah
0: so I mean this film yeah he was like pretty much supporting character he's heard films like Snatch and you know Lockstock Two Smoking Barrels two Guy Ritchie films and of course you know based on his acting they putting him on this project The Transporter which of course again launched sequels as well mm-hmm. and those were okay but I think nothing tops off the first one no oh. But uh, it's driving, you know, it's high-speed ch- high chasing, fighting, guns, you know, what can I ask for for an action film? It's, yeah. Um, definitely, and of course, you know, it, like I say, not his career to do these type of high-adrenaline type of films, like Crank is another one that didn't make the list, but that's something that's kind of similar to The Transport as well because the premise is pretty much simple. It's a simple premise and pretty much, you know, like I said, it's, a, it's just a one-man's mission to go against his employer, pretty much. And definitely something you can rewatch over and over again. Lucky I have all three films in my collection. So but I chose this one as my number one. As my my favorites of all the three. So that's why like, I do have a Transporter. I'm a Stan, Come on. He's done so many films as well. I think the last one that he was in was called The Mang or something with the giant shark. Oh, God. The Megalodon. The Megalodon. I have not seen it, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But I think that's like the most recent work that he's done so far. But definitely check out The Transporter. I mean, I don't want to give too much for the movie away. It's been a while since I've seen it, but that... whenever I think about this list, that's like the first thing that came to my mind. Because like I said, it was my introduction to Jason Statham and the work. And I like the films that he's in. So this is my introduction to him, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's my number nine.
1: That's your number nine? Yeah. Okay, so my number eight is uh, the movie Kids. That's by, uh, what's his name, Harmony Corinne Back in like 19... 19- oh, God. about basically it's 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 as realistic as it gets in depicting teen, teenagers in America in a sense of what they really do, and and I mean with this particular set of uh, of friends slash acquaintances that you know hang around uh, New York, uh, Harmony Korine kind of shen, shines a lens on the true depiction of what American adolescents can be and and the things they can get into such as you know partying drugs um, Sax just, he, he, he took a very realistic theme in, in, all of each other's lives living in Western culture, especially in America and depicting it as raw as he possibly could. And, and we saw a lot of, uh, actors that you've known throughout the years, kind of in, in today that are still acting, uh, Chloe Moret, oh, not Chloe what's her name? Uh, Chloe Savigny, uh, rosario dawson's in there they're all very young uh the two main protagonists uh which i can't fucking remember the names anymore I, that's the thing with films i i, I remember the names of it and i watched but i'm so i suck with like remembering the characters names and stuff but what they've done i can remember but it just kind of shows you like new york in the 90s and, and and being an adolescent in america and what it really entails like we got like kids that have skateboards so it's different scenes Within the New York boroughs, but like I think they're mainly in Brooklyn. But it kind of shows these teenagers living uninhibited, with you know, like I mentioned, drugs, uh, them kind of having sex within their their group, and and uh, and just partying, and and just even just the way they talk, it captures everything. And like I said, it's just a very raw portrayal, which put him on the map to be able to direct later on in his career. Uh And he, was fairly, and he was in like his younger 20s when he was recording these guys. And these kids were, yeah, they were like 17, 18. So like I want to say 18 at best if that's the only way they'll be able to participate in this shit without having their parents present. Because it's a pretty raw film and it's very impactful and it's very strong. And I recommend, you know, kind of watch it with uh, a grain of salt and hopefully like an open mind and just trying to see how it was really in the 90s. Um, I, I watched this late when I was a teen. I want to say the early 2000s. So like uh, a teacher kind of showed us a little bit of the film, but he cut off certain parts, obviously. But then I watched it on my own, and, and it's still very much it it's today. Um, it's an excellent film. I, I used to be on Netflix a long ass time ago. Uh, but yeah, feel free to get the Blu-ray whenever you can. I, it's definitely a movie you should see. Uh, there's nothing else like it at all. Um, Depicting that sort of deal I don't even know if we can even make a film like that anymore Even with so many uh, strong films being produced today With Netflix and Amazon and all that stuff Being able to kind of put films on the map This is one that I think still holds a light to a lot of this stuff That it's hard to even portray teenagers living in that And it's, you know, it, it it. it's still an evolution. I, I would hope maybe there's there's a director out there that wants to capture how adoles- adolescents live right now, especially with the digital age taking over. It would be very interesting to see how they provide a perspective on that. With social media being a big a big aspect of adolescents' lives, and even uh, young adults, young adults kind of participating in society and. and and, I mean, it, it would be amazing to see that, but obviously, you know, with our culture today, there could be things that may be seen as offensive and whatnot. And, and, and sure, but I think if you that's what film does, it needs to be—it needs to be challenging. It needs to challenge your perspective. It needs to be portrayed the way the director's vision is. If you don't let the director. got the human centipede It was, really, was disgusting but it was a film it was made so take a very grain of but yeah kids at number eight I think is something that I, I I feel good about
0: all right my number eight I have the movie John Wick
1: hmm perfect
0: honestly John Wick one of those things like I only never never saw the trailer um pretty much I picked it up when I used to work in retail Saw when I used to work the night shift at a retail chain and pretty much, you know, I walked by the electronics department and I saw this deep Blu-ray set. This Blu-ray, it's Keanu Reeves on the cover. It says Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh store on the thing. So I'm like, okay. And I picked it up. I'm like, okay, I haven't seen Keanu Reeves in a film in a while. It's been a long time since I've seen him in any film. Picked up it and I'm like, okay, let's check it out. And it blew me away. I mean, the premise is simple. You got this person named John Wick who at the beginning he's guys he It shows like up as, like like he's with his wife. He's like retired or something. He's out of the game or something. And then apparently he goes to a gas station and some dick decides, because uh, he's got, like, John Wick has his nice car, and this is this dick pretty much asking him, hey, why don't you sell me your car? And he's like, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. And I, I don't know, this guy was probably on drugs or something and he ends up taking offense to it. And I've got the actors played by the guy who's in the game, of Thrones. game of Thrones. I've got the actor's um, name. He
1: plays Reek. I don't Theon Greyjoy was yeah. the
0: character but he was known as Reek but I forget the actor's name he's really good too he's a good actor getting this actor um, so he takes offense to it and he decides you know what I'm going to take the car but this is where it pretty much all goes down from here so they go you know they go after the car and end up killing the dog because so well, they follow because they kind of tail him they tail him he Yeah. he lives to where he lives, and they end up because there was just a simple carjacking. They thought this guy's oh, just a regular guy. Like they didn't know, and pretty much to the point, they pretty much beat him up, take the car, and they end up killing the dog. And they kill his dog. yeah. No, I think no, they tell him, but he went somewhere, and he he went out shopping. I think to the grocery store or something.
1: Yeah, they went to rob his house. Somewhere. They went to
0: rob his. They robbed the car. They went. They broke into his house just to take the car. The dude being a dick, that same pop ass was there, ends up killing the dog. you not knowing a guy like that, having an upscale place does not have surveillance, you're an idiot. So he ends up taking the car, killing the dog. John Wick returns home, finds sees that the dog's dead, and of course there are flashbacks to you know his wife and stuff. And he decides your revenge, and we find out he's an assassin. he was an assassin. <laughs> For this big organization of assassins. And of course, strings of chain events to the point that the guy's dad is like, you know what you've done. You pretty much awakened the Baba Yaga. <laughs> which is like the Russian boogeyman, basically. And pretty much sets a chain of non-stop, adrenaline pumping, well choreographed action sequences and music. And it's basically the pursuit of Gamer Overall killing his dog. He didn't. I don't think he cared too much about the car. He just got the kid as well. Yeah, he killed the last attachment. he had his wife, before she passed. And now he's retired. He was retired. Now he had to go and pretty much break his basement, which he had a basement. Broke open and pretty much had like these coins and stuff, all his weapons and stuff. He's going to, go to this thing called the Continental, mm-hmm. which is like a hotel for... like a hotel when you do business stuff. I guess a lot of assassins stay there. Pretty much the rule is you do not, any business cannot be conducted, any assassination cannot be conducted, and that's what. And of course, you know, the kid decides hiring assassins try to take him out as well, Let's try to stop him. And this film was really great. I mean, the action, the music fits so well. Picking Keanu Reeves, the way he's like, blowing his gun, blowing his weapons, and fighting, the choreography, the high those stunts that he's done. Oh my God. Most of the stunts but I know he did a lot. A lot of like the behind the scenes stuff showed all the training he went through, all the tactical training he had to go through prior to filming. There's a lot of that stuff he had to learn. precise you know, hot reel and like fast and everything to take and So it's a really good film. We spawn pretty much a series I think they're all gonna do a John before, four, possibly do a TV show called well nothing tough about this original because it's something that wasn't originally created work I mean the guy like who directed it ended up directing Deadpool 2 and it's really well done and, and like I said it kind of relaunched Keanu's like renaissance for the same films because he did like what 47 Ronin yeah, yeah, yeah so, so it's like this thing kind of redeemed himself as well and kind of launched him as well into a launching pad like a second renaissance film as well in this film it's talked about a lot like I said put Keanu on the map again you know for him to do the sequels and eventually you know and work on more projects and apparently doing their Matrix too as well so it's like it kind of like broke him as well I mean he's done acting for a long long time as well being in his 50s still looks good still you know able to do what he can do nicest guy apparently um so definitely check it out John Wick phenomenal <laughs> phenomenal film I enjoyed it just as I think me and Biko saw it the first time I bought that Blu-ray and we were like blown away we were blown away it, 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 mm, it it's a really good film definitely check it okay. okay what's your what's
1: up um, for my number seven yeah, so, uh, for number seven I put The Graduate which is a fucking classic it's with uh, Dustin Hoffman it's sort of like typical, or not typical, but it's, it tells the story of a uh, of a recent college graduate who kind of returns back to his hometown just trying to figure out what his next move is and, uh, it, it, it it goes off the span of like, it starts off with him his weekend back and he's just kind of, you know, reconnecting with the people in his life, his family his neighbors, his friends um, then he gets invited to a party and uh, so he can reconnect with all of his old classmates and uh, visits a friend, and he starts up this affair with this, his his uh, I do his friends, his friend's mom. I don't know what to say. Uh, which I think, in, in, because he he has he builds like this crush with another girl, like that he's been pining over for a while now. Um, but he expands from that, and him kind of like going through the notions of like him kind of. Uh, maintaining this affair with this older woman and and he gets seduced by her like that's which is a classic line it's like are you are you trying to seduce me mrs robinson and like because i think her husband like was cheating on her too but she knows so like it's like she kind of uses him as a way to get back to her her husband because i if i remember correctly he was up he he the husband was trying to like help him kind of like get into a company work for, and, you know, so he's just like, well, you know, I want to take my time, kind of understand what he wants to do, and at the same time, he's trying to date this girl, and who he eventually wants to get married to, but, uh, he, you know, is entrapped with this, like, weird, like, affair with an older woman, and so he's just experiencing that for the first time, you know, he was a young man, kind of, having a affair with an older woman, and, 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 you know, the, the... <laughs> Circumstances that may bring to your life, and this is all depicted in, the, in like the, the late 60s, early 70s. So Dustin Hoffman is very young in his career, and, and it was definitely a movie that put him on the map. Uh, it's it's I think it's still on like the top 100 films list. It's definitely essential movies to watch. I don't want to ruin anything. But yeah, like it's it, 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 you know it's a challenging it's a challenging coming of age film of a young man. You know on on not in his prime at all, but like in the you know, just finishing college and being in that gray area of what you want to do with your life after and, and also romantically and socially what you want to do and what you get yourself into and, and being you know, of that time of being a young man trying to just navigate through that tough circumstances that he found himself in i mean i'm not saying he didn't contribute to it but yeah he, uh, he definitely found himself in just in all gravels, and i think it's it's so impactful the last like minutes of the film it still hits you pretty hard if you yourself in those shoes if you ever had experiences like that with being seduced by an older woman or something like that to that extent or or trying or being caught in the middle between like being romantically involved with somebody else but you know having some sort of romanticist interest for somebody new that's come to light in your life so I think that film captured very well and and Dustin Hoffman does a great job playing that character and it's I love films that kind of put people on a, a big high trajectory of success and, and Dustin Hoffman's a well-known name in Hollywood and I mean I haven't seen him as shit as of late but like I love his old films and that's definitely one of them that I really that I like going back to and watching on a late Saturday night or something I'm you know, just like with a glass of wine or something just hanging out it's, it's something that I recommend highly
0: okay my number seven I had the film Clerks
1: ah Clerks yeah
0: yeah I cannot now, I have a Kevin Smith movie in my top 10. This is like pretty much his basic historic YouTube you film. Like, you know, I'm just he worked as a one series, and then he got the stop, which, of course, place And pretty much, it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's like no plot line, just right? So, happening in a comedy store, or like a movie store, or something. Because it just follows, basically, it takes place in the whole day. But he pretty much it follows this guy named Dante. Of course, his boss, his manager decides to call him that had to come in, and pretty much, you know, until the manager shows up. He's like, how was he supposed to be here today? Get that because I wasn't here today. And of course, I'm sure we've uh, all been there. We've all been there. You've worked in retail or something. You have to call in and cover somebody until the person comes in and take the day off. And of course, it's he the head and, of course, it's buddy, Randall, the a video store. And it's kind of weird watching that film now because it's like, oh, man, remember when we had video rental shops and street malls? I mean, there's still convenience stores around, but very now at this day and age with modern technology. Now with family video going away now. So you have the last and last one of those video rental places now. Um, but then, and of course, you get introduced to Jane, Silent Bob. And like, the kind of cool. It's like that. too much with the film but it's hardly any music at all because it's like it's just that it just captures life in a convenience store place. and so then just getting through the day. basically dinner day and the random people they interact the interactions they have with different people and you know they try to play like, street hockey on the, on the top of the, the convenience store and stuff yeah, it's, it's- and like I said you get Jason Bob two. grand get the loiterers.
1: yeah that's it's like it, it captures a great in Jersey pretty much where Ray Kemp's from he's from yeah. Jersey, so like, it captures a great like it like, provides a lot of insight into into Americana life and, and, and 90s, anybody yeah. who's ever been a comedian star like we don't get films like this very often to where it does to pick something real it's like kids it's like the same type it's like, like a social like, like real it's like shit. a social
0: concept basically it's like yeah. a social
1: concept uh, you know how life is like
0: when things happen in some things that are out of your control.
1: Yeah, no matter what. Yeah. But
0: it, this film, I can actually watch over and over again. It's something really enjoyable. Definitely, if you're a big Kevin Smith fan, like I said, this was his launching point. You
1: have to watch it. If you you're gotta Kevin watch Smith. it, you if have you, watch, to. you
0: have to watch it. Yeah. I mean, this man—he's a really good writer when it comes to writing and directing as well. So he's done some good works. He's done. He had a few little miss, misses on there, but he still goes strong. You know. And like I said, it's something he still loves his passion, he still likes writing, he still likes filmmaking, so that's his passion. I know he's working on Clerk Street right now, but definitely watch the original. You know, honestly it's it's a really good film. I mean there's so many like memes from it or main lines you could probably recognize. You know, you're supposed to be here today, or 37 <laughs> or da 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 Nacho Shark. We need a bigger boat. And, of course, the famous scene of Randall's reading those, like, titles when he's trying to make that order and front of the kid. <laughs> and then, of course, oh, man, Berserker. <laughs> i about Berserker. Like I said, it's, it, it's like, the RAM things from that film, and, you know, definitely I had that on DVD, I believe, so, and I got the anniversary edition, so it has the alternative ending to it as well. There's, like, two endings, but I had the one ending from theater, so and there's, like, an alternative ending, but... It's a film, and it actually takes place in the same universe as other films. So you have to, It's called the X-Q universe, so it's like they all take place in the same, kind of like the same continuity, because it's kind of like, mm-hmm. similar to because like Mallrats itself, it's, it's almost like a sequel to Clerks, almost. And those characters sometimes do appear on the other films as well as different characters. So, it, it's the timeline. Always. I think Mallrats takes place a little bit before Clerks. A little bit so it's like it's different. But it like I said, definitely one of those films I definitely you guys definitely gotta recommend. Check out so clerks if it's on streaming or Blu-ray. Like I said, big Cat's fan, you'll definitely check out
1: right, what's your number six? Number six is uh Good Times with uh Robert Pattinson and uh which I always I'm fucking drawing a blank on the directors names but I'll pull it up right now. Um, but it's an excellent film. It's it's from the directors who, got, who brought you. It's the brothers who brought you uh, Uncut Gems, and it, it's just an amazing ride. It, it it's about two brothers who one they're basically planning a bank robbery, and, and one brother is handicapped, mentally challenged, handicapped, and, and the other brother is just you know he's faced a lot of hard times. Their, their parents aren't around anymore they just it, it's just him and his brother they're very low on cash and it's and his brother's just trying to stay out of jail, like stay out of jail as well and just out of trouble but like not much else you can do when you're a former felon and he's just, he just he kind of I want to say manipulates his brother to kind of go along with participating in this bank robbery and it escalates into a wild night of it's another film that t- takes over takes over, it starts over a span of one day into the night and into the next morning and it just unravels into this crazy this crazy circumstances and Robert Panson plays such a oh such a great such a great role as the lead as the lead role in the older brother is kind of the mastermind towards this whole plan, and, and him just being able to kind of portray all sorts of emotions and, and playing a New Yorker, he does a fucking great job uh, for an Englishman playing a, a New Yorker. I think like he, I think this is a film that. I mean, I already thought he was very underrated, uh, and and I hate that he still gets the stigma that a lot of other actors get when they make it big during their teen years with like certain cultural phenomenon type of movies or like culturally significant media It's like for instance like Daniel Radcliffe with Harry Potter like it took him a while to shed that but it was also good because they both share him and Robert Pattinson share certain circumstances where they've made a financial killing in their old past films with Robert Pattinson uh his role in Twilight like they were able to kind of get that fuck you money and then being able to do participate in projects that they wanted to be in and so they were both doing the indie light the indie scene tremendously and, and they both had have a lot of great movies under their belt to where they were able to really be able to really deep dive into method acting and and Robert pattinson does a great job at this in this film because it's just like i i, I don't want to spoil it because if you do it's like it it's such a. It's not even a simple plot because it doesn't start off that way. It's just him trying to get enough money so he can help his brother get to a, a good program, to help him, uh, to help him because of his needs. And like, it's just him and his brother. There's nobody else. And and it just it goes not. And it just shows like what desperation, really does to you, and him just trying to pick up the pieces and and being and be somewhat of a. I want to say a role model for him, but also like someone who's just trying to provide for him and just make a and and you know make a final like a make a score for himself as well, and so they can both live the life they can without like having the eyes of the law on themselves. But it, it does a great job and and showing the, the the true acting depth that Robert Pattinson brings to the table, and and I think that's what also I feel like helped me kind of rejuvenate my enthusiasm for when the new Batman got announced and how he's putting in there. And I think like a lot of the fanboys who are really strong in the Batman train of like, oh, giving them shit. Like, I think it's just because they haven't seen him in other films and they're still attaching him to Twilight. And I've never I maybe seen one Twilight and that's because I was stuck at a party. Like, there wasn't, a, there wasn't any other reason for me to watch him, but, like, even then, you can't compare what his, like, early acting and what he did for, like, essentially, I'm sure he had fun with it because it put him on the map, but also, like, for what it is, is a check. And he took that and, and and decided to do projects that he really felt strongly about. I mean, we saw him in The Lighthouse, and he does a great job in that movie with William Defoe, like, acting next to him, like a legend in his own right. So, like... He definitely holds his own, and I, I, just I hope that a lot of people are able to see him as the as a great actor that he is because it's he's phenomenal. He's he's just a great actor, and I think no, not enough people give him credit for it. But uh, it's it. I'm pulling up the. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm pulling up the the film right now. Sorry, because I don't want to. I don't want to fuck it up. Oh well, it's it's good time, but it's by the Softy Brothers, uh, Josh and Benny, and they've made so many like uh, they've made so many great films. It's it's stu- a- studio house A twenty four. Any film that you see with that opening credit, it's gonna be a good ass film. That studio, that production house, is just like they know how to green light good films, and and they've been supporting these guys since two thousand seven. The two brothers, they they've they've made so many films, like crazy that it's, it's crazy that they're able to, to find some success doing that and they've collaborated with so many people that it'd be hard not to watch these movies huh? and, and they, they've done short films, they've done so much so definitely check out Good Time it's, it's, it's an excellent movie alright
0: um, my number six would be Pop I mean I gotta have a quote this guarantee of to me, it's one of those films Point to point, but it, it, it pretty much he wants to make you think. Let's play out how much into it. Is once you to pick up any little nuances and think, you know, try to put the pieces together. He gets a really good cast. You got Bruce Willis in there, Big Rames, Uma Thurman, John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, the list can go on of characters in there. You know, but those were like the breakout, and you know, and of course it's some, it's one of those films where you it, it gets quoted a lot, especially in this came out in the nineties so you can tell a lot of like shows and stuff parody a lot to certain things from it and you know it's it's talked about it's one of those like films. I mean Tarantino had Reservoir Dogs, Foxy Brown under his belt as well during that time. But but this was like one of his uh oh Jackie Jackie Brown I think it was, right? Yeah Jackie Brown it was Jackie Brown, okay yeah. But I think this is the one that kind of like pushed the edge of the film industry just because of, um, you know, the way the story was, because it's like, you gotta like pay attention to it, because like I said, it it takes, you know, the is not in order. But it's one of those things where you have to like pay attention, and you gotta understand what the motivation are of these characters, and how they all tie together. Like, I think, um, Bruce Willis like a former boxer in that film, and then of course, you know, like John Travolta and Samuel Jackson, they're like, pretty much like hired money collectors or you know they get tasked to take um, I think I um, think has character like, has to be an escort for with Thurman's character of course you got the famous singer Dancing in the Diner doing the twist or something they're doing the twist and then she gets hop up on coke and stuff and, and you got Bing Rames in there who you see him in other films as well he's got that commanding voice if you guys don't recognize him now he was the we have the meats guy in front of Arby's commercials um, like I said and it, of course, he gets like. Does he have Michael Mattson in there too as well? Because he's like a regular collaborator with him.
1: Uh, I don't he, remember. He comes out very, very shortly. He doesn't because he's in like the skies. It's like weird, but he does come out.
0: Yeah, let me pull up the the cast list here. It's like I said, it's one of those films you definitely need to check out. Pulp fiction. Here we go. 1994. Wow. 1994. That's all of this. Um, pull up the cast list here. Of course, Craig here puts himself in the film as well. Um, he plays Jimmy Dimmick. Okay, Tim Roth is in it as well. There we go. There I'll pull up the page here. Uh, yeah, so pretty much it's like... Yeah, and like I said, it's it's a story where you'll know, basically... Um, yeah, like, John Troy plays Vincent Vega. He's, like, a hitman. Butch Coolidge is played by Bruce Willis. And Jules Winfield is his business partner. Okay. You know, and it says here, the film begins with a diner hold stage by a couple. Then begins to from one storyline until another. Returns to the diner for conclusion. So, pretty much, it's, like, it starts with once. Like I said, it's just a narrative where you have to, like, pay attention. It starts in the diner and apparently ends in the diner. But you got to see... What the sequences goes through. Because I think Simpsons did that, a parody of it goes stories about Springfield, and they do parody Pulp Fiction a little bit of it as well. And like I said, it, all had, and it also has that one scene where John Travolta and Samuel Jackson are Hitman, they're coming to collect the money. And then, of course, you get that famous saying that someone you know, just starts quoting the Bible verse.
1: It's not our actual Bible verse. He makes just, it up. He makes it up, but he tries to say. But he like combines a bunch of different Bible verses into. Like his own personal, yeah, like his own personal creed.
0: Yeah, so it's really good, and pretty much like I said, you got Vin Rings in there as well, and like I said, they and of course like I said, you got the famous scene where the famous dancing scene where, with Thurman and John with the dancing and stuff, and the music and stuff in the background, or dancing in a like a 50 style diner called Jackrabbit Slims and doing the twist. And it's a really good story, and of course, you know. It, like I say, it keeps going back and forth. And that Both the cast, you got John Svolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Will Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Mario Demedarios, Swing Rames, Eric Stoltz, Rosanna
1: Arquette. I mean, Quentin Tarantino comes out in that. He comes on there. Christopher Walken. He's in
0: there too himself. Christopher Walken. It's like a bunch of people in there. So definitely. Um, yeah, Joe Jones. Like, you definitely check it out, the film. I don't want to give it too much away, but like I said, it jumps around. You just got to pay attention to it in terms of the narrative of the story. And it says here, basically the main story is told out of the order, but follows three main integrated stories. So it's three stories, but it, like, it... They like all said,
1: cross paths into one.
0: Yeah, it cross paths into one, basically. And it's yeah. a really... Like I said, it's a really good film. Definitely check it out. Um, um you can probably... You can find it on Blu-ray or DVD somewhere, so definitely check that out on one those films. Because it won the Promo Award at the 2014 Film Festival. It was nominated for seven awards. And the 67th Annual Academy Awards including Best Picture. And, but it did win Best Original Screenplay. So it won for Best Original Screenplay. So definitely check it out.
1: All fiction. Alright, what's your five? <laughs> Let's see, my five is gonna be uh, Crap. Because I had Pulp Fiction number two, that's fine. Um, for number five, it's going to be The Lord of the Rings Two Towers. Uh, I know all three of them were pretty great films, but The Two Towers is my favorite one. I think it's... And it might be, like, probably the, the favorites out of a lot of people just because it captured all the elements of uh, what the first one kind of brought and, and a little combination of what the third one brought in the sense that they were both extremely well-made. We the development of each character as it progresses and, and as they're on this path of trying to take the ring back to Mordor. It, it all... It bubbles up and the anticipation for all that just... It keeps building and building. The es, the escalation of the circumstances that Frodo and Sam have found themselves in with, during this journey as well as the rest of the Fellowship. Just the action, the cinematography, the the, the score, the, the, the elements of, of fantasy. Just everything... Everything gets captured so beautifully. The, the the final war scenes, like everything about it, is just so amazing for its time. And Peter Jackson just presenting his best vision he could to kind of honor J. R. R. Tolkien's um, fantasy masterpiece. And and he he did such a great job with the two towers coming through, uh, as I feel is the strongest of the three films, and uh, in, in all aspects and and i feel like that one is is like if you were to compare it to star wars it's just how i like i feel like a lot of people like the empire strikes back a lot more than a new hope or a lot more than return of the jedi and i think that is it sits as as along that class of very well-made sequels or within a, a more expanded story being told on film and Fuck for it for the time and like being able to experience all three films and and, and and watching in the movies and and being able to like experience it in real time as it was as it came out and them just continuously sweeping the academies, uh, the academy awards and all aspects of the film like it was just it, it was of its time and it still holds up like we're still seeing it getting rolled out into four K uh, to, to for purchase and an IMAX so it's like. It still holds up. It, it's a strong and very well-told tale, and, and, I, and those films only come around once in a lifetime. And I think, like this, this film is going to continue to be, hopefully, in those top 100 films to watch, like the essential films to see. And it was hard for me to not put this at number one, but it's because, like, like I said, bias, right? But I feel like it was, it was definitely a good one for me to to leave in the middle of the pack. Um, as far as my my favorite fantasy film outside of uh, Star Wars even though I will say like I I didn't put any Star Wars films on my list because i I don't know i I, 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 I don't like I love Star Wars but I don't know if it's gonna be on my top yeah. 10 films because I I don't know it's with the last trilogy kind of fucking things up a lot for me it kind of changed my perspective on how these films are made even if they come from different times but uh yeah Two Towers Lord of the Rings Two Towers for me is at number 5
0: okay my number 5 I don't know who you this one Miko but I love you guys it's my number 5 I'm gonna defend it as best as I can Scott Program the world oh yeah reason why it's number 5 I'll tell you what it's the most underrated film cult classic and it's one of those films where, you know, I didn't read the graphic novels, but I had to get the graphic novels just to read them about just to, like, what this character's about. Because I never heard of Scott Pilgrim, never heard of the character. I know he's named after a song, but, um, mm. and it's by Brian Lee O'Malley, great artist, great writer. They're phenomenal, John, to the point that he released the collection again in, like, color version, which is kind of cool, um something that I definitely be in again and again. I mean, you bring in Edgar Wright, who's known for doing, like, the Shaun of the Dead, the Cornell series, the Cornell trilogy, which is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, the of it. Bring him in, and then you bring a cast who you never thought would be in a movie together. You'd bring these actors in that did, like, mediocre films. Bring them in together, so you get Michael Sarah, who's coming off the rest of the Dublin, also coming off the Superbad thing as well. You get all um, Mary List of who I remember from Sky High, that's the film of The Superheroes. You get uh um, Jason Schwartzman, who to me did a job being the exact Gideon. That was awesome. He's been to so many films, but to me, that was awesome. Um then you get Chris Evans, pre-Captain American kid Chris Evans, in there as well, as one of the evil X's. You get Brandon Roth, of course, kind of redeem himself, you know, from some kind of returns. Bree Larson, pre-Captain Get uh Mate Women, you who know, plays Katara, in Avatar the Last Airbender. Um, and of course, um course of course the supporting cast is Expo Bond, get our actors there as well. You we got Alice Pill, who's been on this as well. Um, like I said, <laughs> young Neil, and of course Nice, she's awesome. I mean, the film captured the essence of what the graphic novel is, because Brownlee may have played new games. So you had that whole video game-esque soundtrack. And it plays like playing a video game where you had the sound effects, you had the voice that were going K.O., K.O.! and, it's like, and then the music was phenomenal with the film as well. Yeah, Beck helping out with the film, helping with the score and stuff a little bit of it as well. He helped collaborate with a lot of the Sex by Bomb songs with a lot of the cast actually help record. Um, and like honestly, the sequences were great. And like I said, it's one of those films where they took the gamble. It's like, hey, we'll show it at Comic Con first before putting in. The, and like I said, it didn't do. It didn't maybe work at the box office. I think it did much better at home video-based because a lot of people had to read the novels because, like I said, it's something that... I think if you're living in Canada, it probably hits you more because it takes place in Canada, but I think if... before the, this came, became, you know, internationally known, it probably one of those works that it became internationally known after the film was being lit. Mm-hmm. Like I said, then, like I said, with the cast, I don't imagine... Like, I know Edgar Wright did say, like, yeah, last... And plus, it's still talked about. Last year they did the reunion for Charity, so they had most of the cast. Come. Oh, yeah, Karen Culkin playing uh, Wallace Wells, who did a great job as uh, Scott's roommate. And I liked it. It was like, are you trying to be a pirate? I'm a pirate, yeah. yeah. Pirates are in this year. like, pirates are in this year. Mr. Poonman. <Pum-Pum. laughs> And him going through the sequence of the evil exes which was really good. And of course, you know, the, the graphic novel itself kind of, like, it spans six volumes. I know they had to cut a lot of stuff up due to time constraints just to bridge the whole story together. But I think if they will go back, because I know Edgar Wright was talking about possibly doing an anime version of it and bringing the cast through the voices, That because that graphic novel is six novels, and you can stretch the story so much of it just to get the background on each of the characters. And I do like for the film is when they do the flashbacks, actually take artwork from Brian Lee O'Malley he actually did the artwork for the film for the flashback sequences so you got to see his art style and everything in there as well which I did love and I did like for the fact that you know in the graphic novel like even though it was black and white of course now I got the color version Ramona likes to dye her hair so I kind of like for the fact the hairstyle she has different hairstyles throughout the whole film because if you read the graphic novels her hair changes constantly so like she'll dye her hair a different color she'll style it a different color and to me it's it, it the film still holds up. It's been almost 11 years. It holds up. It's something that I watch over again. I think it's on Netflix because it's that popular. And like I said, definitely something that you enjoy if you like the whole boy meets girl, basically something it's like almost like a romantic comedy in essence. And like I said, it's almost like it's like a video game, pretty much. And the music, like I said, the music the DJ sings when they're facing the twins and stuff as well. I said Crashing Boys, <laughs> and of course, it's like um, the band Clash of Demonheads named after uh, based on a video game as well. So, and of course, you had you know, Brie Larson singing that one song. And of course, I think they released the soundtrack on vinyl for the anniversary. And they have the like the original tracks where the actors actually sing the songs and stuff, which is kind of hard to find. Was that the one that Brie Larson sang with the uh, Clash of Demon Head, So, definitely, like I said, definitely check out that film, it holds up pretty well. Like I said, that's something that I will rewatch watch over and over again to me and that's, that's the whole thing that we, me and Biko actually had the matching Sex Bomb tattoos because <laughs> of our love for the film so we actually had the Sex Bomb tattoos so it kind of like shows our love for the film as well so to me, yeah, it was kind of hard to find try, like same thing with Biko like I, it was pretty hard for me not to put Star Wars in there which I don't think I did because it's like, well I was giving it my five and that's the first thing that kind of popped in my head was this film because honestly it's like I mean, you can agree or disagree with me. It's your choice. But, yeah, I'm going to stick with Scott Krogan versus the World as my top five film of all time. All right, Biko, what's your number four? Crap.
1: My number four. Oh, I put Black Hawk Down as my number four. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, since it's films, I didn't put TV shows. I would have picked Band of Brothers. But uh, as far no, as... No, we'll do a TV show one later on. Right. Um. But as far as films go, Black Hawk Down, I think it's one of my favorite military movies that was made. Uh, I know there's still a lot of films out there that I still need to watch. I, I, I would have put Dunkirk, but I haven't seen it yet. Mm. Um, but definitely Black Hawk Down is one of them. Uh, just it's, it, it has so many, awesome, so many prolific actors as of late, uh, but in that time, I mean there was still very very well known household names but also introducing a lot of other characters that ended up being famous in their own right for other films later in the years uh, but it, it, it being based on a true true event and uh, true story it, it, in showing I guess uh, the realisms of war during crazy American missions you can say in other countries and it, it kind of it depicts real time uh, war missions and, and just uh, the severity of what our army, what our, I guess, military personnel put their lives on the line for. And uh, I mean, depicting American soldiers kind of in a rescue mission and, and a peacekeeping mission per se for the UN, and it unravels into something completely different in, in the country of Africa uh, in a certain in a certain light, it, it kind of... In one way, you may see this as like... it. In a way, it's propaganda for how they portrayed the events of the film. Considering it's based on off of actual true circumstances that happened in those years. But overall, comparatively to a lot of the films that have come out after that film was made. I think it kind of holds up as one of the... At least non non, America is the best type of feeling of a, of a military movie out there next to, we'll say, like, Saving Private Ryan, maybe, but, like, even then, or uh, Pearl Harbor, even though Pearl Harbor was a Michael Bay film, so you have to scratch that. You have to watch out the a grain of salt because it's all just explosions, and he even added a love story in a, in a fucking pretty tragic event in American history, but Bio Down, I mean, it's such it it's you know it's it's a, two crashed down helicopters and and uh two units trying to get out of this pretty i want to say a, a war torn city in Africa that is just comp- obviously completely against us being there and that's why the the UN depicted it as a peacekeeping mission even though i feel like though but i love how like how it, the the movie depicts kind of the inter-struggle between the soldiers' mentalities for following orders, but also trying to survive to face the next mission, and and them being kind of left in desperation where while they're just trying to save their fellow combatants, but at the same time it's like, what do you do when you're the, the, I want to say the personnel you represent can't get to you, and you're facing down plenty of opposition kind of trying to, you know, kill you or take you prisoner, so it's just it's a very fast paced film that I mean, for the majority of like the second, I want to say the second act of the film, it's when it really unravels, but the first act, you know, has to set the set the mission scene and just, you get it does a, also does a really great job of kind of adding character and personality to each of the each of the soldiers that are in this mission and you'll you'll notice some pretty recognizable faces. I mean Ewan McGregor's in the in the film. Uh we get a yo a young a very young uh, what's the guy from Magic Mike that plays um I think it was true Bud too. But he's a, he's in there as well. Oh Joel Magnilla? Yeah, he's in there. Um God, I'm already fucking blinging So many, there's just so many different actors in there, but it, it's it's stop action, right? It, like once it gets going, it's just action. You're kind of thrusted into the uh, into the the hell of it, and it was for me, it was either it was either this one or the Hurt Locker. Both of them are very excellent films, but I like Black Hawk Down a little more because it doesn't just resonate around somebody trying to self trying to de self destruct a bomb. So like. And um, don't get me wrong, Herlocker's an excellent film too. But I, I just I think Black Hawk Down for me is a little stronger of a film in the in the case of that's pacing and action and and showing that desperation that that some of our soldiers do that we may not see obviously because they don't let us know they're not supposed to or they don't want to. But some of these missions that they do participate in uh, in other foreign countries. But yeah, Black Hawk Down I think is a pretty fucking strong film
0: okay uh, for my choice for number four will be the good the bad and the ugly oh shit yeah um it's a classic it's something that you know I can watch because I'm not much the westerns but freaking clean Eastwood and placing this is like what they cooked up as the spaghetti western because the fact that you know it was written by you know Italian. the third of what they call the dollars trilogy. I actually have all three films, so I have a full of dollars, a few dollars more. So this is like the third of the film, the third one, the final trilogy, which, obviously gets more well-known. Um, of course, Clint Eastwood, you know. And it's funny, it's one of those films where they had to dub afterwards because you had like, actors, you had Italian actors, you had Spanish actors, and of course you had American actors as well. You had Eli Wallach as well, and Lee Van Cleef, actors who were pretty much done other works. Um, and pretty much the whole premise is and of course, has a great score um, by Ennio Monoc- Morricone, Morcion- who does like that one th- um, theme song, "Si Go," which Metallica actually uses before they intro of their concerts because mm-hmm. it's a really good introduction song. usually played at the end of the, of the film as well, but the premise is pretty much um, well, it's like three gun singers. You know, Eastwood, of course, like Eastwood is keeping the whole "man with no name" type of thing because he's never has a name in all these films. Um, he's no- this one, I think, um, he, like, while he plays Dukul, and he calls him Blondie, so he never has a name. That's why he's, like, the man with no name, basically, and, um, frankly if you hear he plays almost like a, like, a, kind of like a mercenary, and, um, Dukul and Blondie, pretty much, um, they work together, but they pull these odd jobs where, you know, they're, like, he's, like, a bounty hunter, and he brings, like, Duko in, and Dukul's about to get hang and he saves them, and they take money. bounties, otherwise they swindle towns, and they the bounties. It gets to that drawing part where Duko pretty much gets pissed off at him so many times. He doesn't save him in time. He lets him struggle a little bit. To a point, they end up getting their friendship and kind of gets strained. And then, of course, you know Van Cleef's character, the mercenary, to try to find this pretty much this gold or something that was buried by this one guy, Bill Carson. Um, to try to find where this gold is, and of course, they run into the Confederate Army at that time because it takes place around, the around 1862 that's where your film's like during the Civil War pretty much and then the three pilots like I said it, it, it's an interesting story and it's by three guys like try, try to find this gold and of course you had that famous scene where they're all standing in the gravestones and you had that Mexican standoff with the three ways of who's gonna end up being the last person to get the gold it's just their struggles and stuff and like I said the score is phenomenal and like the, the long shots and everything and just the, the way they had to go through all the struggles they had to go through it's a long movie I, it's a really long patient it's all it kind of drags a little bit but like I said it, it's really good and like I said it's something that you definitely need to check it out it's something that you could probably watch because like if you're not into you know westerns this kind of put Clint Eastwood on the map because he was doing western shows before as well but I think this was before he started doing like the dirty hairy films and stuff so this is like he said he ended up doing other western films I think this is like one films this, this came out in nineteen sixty six. I don't know when he started doing Harry yet, so I don't know when he started doing it. But it's one of the many films he did after starting to show raw. I don't know if he was the show that it was in? And then of course he started doing these films. Um, definitely check it out. Um, it's really enjoyable. And like I said, it's something that you could probably watch over and over again. And like I said, the cast. I mean, like I said, it's more of diverse cast because you had like. Italian actors, yeah Mexican actors, the Spanish actors, Mexican actors. Yeah, Like I said, the film score phenomenal. It's really good music. Um, definitely check it out because I think the runtime for the film was like 177 minutes too. Shit, it's a really long film, but definitely check it out. Check it out, Good Bad Ugly. That's my number four.
1: Okay, number four. So we're on three. Uh, number three is uh, I'm gonna choose Heat. Mm. Um. Oof, so good. It's it starts so much. Uh, so many stars. Al Pacino and, and, and Robert De Niro side by side in a film about a about basically Robert De Niro kind of setting up a, a team to pull off a very sophisticated bank heist and um, and Al Pacino kinda of being the FBI detective going after him and try and has been following his tail for a long time and, and trying to find something to get him in and then and Robert De Niro kind of, you know, get contracts a bunch of these these different people who are skilled at what they're supposed to bring to the table and pull off this bank heist of the century for them. And it's, Oh, it's, it's got so many classic lines and, and it's been, a, it's one of my favorite action movies starring two very prolific actors in Hollywood. And um, I think it's one of my favorite films that Pacino's in um, outside of uh, Scarface the godfather uh, series just everything about it um i think he's he's my favorite in this film as it just showing the dynamic between the cat and mouse game they're playing and and pacino just trying to he, being obsessed with trying to kind of capture de niro in the act and and robert de niro just trying to make this last score and and he says and there's a line that still stands out that i kind of live by in this day where it's like if you're if um it's something along the lines of if like if you have if you're is you always gotta have like a plan b right in life there's always gonna be a plan b and and then and it's all about like not having attachments in the sense that it's like if you can't if you don't have a way to get out of something in 30 seconds or less it's not worth having Mm -hmm. so it's just it kind of shows his mentality on like he's always on the run um, and I mean, he even there he leaves his wife. It's it's kind of fucked. But like Val Kilmer's in there and he plays this like pretty funny gun guy that like the the just the whole movie is so good and it's got a pretty long runtime too. But the the end the ending's so climactic in its own right and it's just such a ride towards the end. But it's so sophisticatedly done and it's just it captures each of the, each of the actor's strengths and it just shows the the dynamic between Pacino and Rob De Niro so well and both of these actors just oh showing their chops it's, it's just so fucking good and, and it's, it's from the 90s and it's just got all the best elements of what an action movie can have but with an actually concise st- story plot that like brings so much to the table and it's so rewatchable it's not even funny and and it's so fucking good in its own right, and it just show. It just, it's it's one of those action movies you need to see no matter what. It, it, it I think to this day there's still probably people who want to play bank Heist that like will probably watch this film and take some notes because it is fucking well done. I think they did consult a lot of uh, bank robbers and and, and and thieves in the from the past who, who kind of consulted on the film too. So like it's very fucking it's it's pretty good, and it's of its time definitely. But it's so like oh. Val Kilmer just brings a performance as well that it's like, whoa, just when you thought this guy couldn't do enough and he's just this pretty boy, but, like, no, he fucking brings it, and, uh, it's such a ride. It's like, I want to watch it again, but, um, I had to put in number three as, like, one of my top action films cause, and like, it, 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 just because of the lines alone and, and, and the impact that had uh, as far as me really liking uh, De Niro and Pacino, at least in this film, as opposed to their other films that they've done throughout their whole careers. Yeah, That's my number three.
0: Okay, uh, my number three was Who Frame Roger Rabbit? <laughs> reason why I picked Who Frame Roger Rabbit, honestly, my memory's not as great. I think it's one of the first films. I think I saw it, I didn't see it in years. I think when I turned four was when it got me I think it came out mid late 88. So I was like three only. So I think it didn't get my attention until I was four when Beaches. Um, that game like that was one of my favorite characters. Um, the film. and this Roger Rabbit character is an original character and eventually became part of like of the Disney family later on. you can see him in the theme parks and stuff he was pretty popular in at Studios I don't know what Hollywood Studios if I could still see a sign of Roger Rabbit out there somewhere and, and Hollywood Studios I don't know how it is now I haven't been there for so long um I remember like back in the day I remember going to Hollywood Studios I remember they used to do the Backlot Tour where they had still had the old. Props from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And it's one of those films that you could probably rewatch. I know it's on Disney Plus. Um, and like I said, and it's the first film you actually bring characters not only from Disney, but able to bring characters from Fleischer Studios, from Warner Brothers as well, and from Universal. So you had Woody Woodpecker, you had Betty Boop, you had Daffy Duck and Donald Duck interacting in the same scene. Hmm and then the biggest two icons because the only way Disney was going to allow was those two touchstone films and of course Disney owned that studio and decided to reach the to their banner um, but the only way they were going to allow Mickey and Bugs Bunny like Warner Bros. said the only time we'll allow Bugs Bunny to appear like any other characters if they had equal screen time that was the agreement they had but even though those characters were there the main focus was on Roger Because it's the whole thing where Eddie Valiant, who's this alcoholic, you know, detective, you can tell, still, you know, he has, like, he's still reeling from losing his brother. You know, he's not making that much money. He ends up taking this job where he's tailing this girl. Jessica Rabbit Who's the
1: suspect No band?
0: not a suspect like Jessica Rabbit He's hailing her Because he feels Roger's now living up To his potential Oh that yeah, yeah. That, that Roger's preoccupied Because his wife's Performing at the scene Play Club And there's just Something going on With her and the Marvin Acme Who's Supposedly owns The rights of Toontown and stuff Something's going on So he So R.K. Maroon Is the main He's He hires Eddie Valiant To do this job This surveillance job To tailor her and stuff and Of course you see Camels from Betty Boop and, and many other Characters as well It's and then you got Bob Hoskins, who's a British actor, but to pull off that grittiest detectiveness was really, really good. Because, like I say, it plays homage to the film noir movies of the past. And, like, the way they did it, like, the period piece and everything kind of works for itself. I mean, you got Christopher Wood playing the villain, playing Doc- Judge Doom, which is really good. I mean, Christopher Walken coming off of Back to the Future. But, like, doing that film and also going back to do Back to the Future was kind of, like, a strain on him. But he did a phenomenal job on there. And, like I said, it was all those films that kind of broke the mold because it's the first time you actually can have people interacting with cartoon characters because like I said it was two studios you had the live action people working on the live action sequences and you had the animation studio working on adding those characters later on Mm -hmm. and of course if you see like behind the scenes stuff how they had to do like the car sequence and everything um, with the film and then to see um, I think it's on Disney Archives they talk about the film as well like the props and stuff and the concept they had to go through where they had to have people stand in they used to stand for the characters to the point they even had actors who did the voices of the characters come on set to, like, to help the Bane actors, you know, give reactions and respond to them. To the point that Charles Fletcher, uh, okay. and to the point that, what's his name, um, the voice of uh, Roger, uh, oh, look him up right here. Charles Fletcher ends up, like, to the point that he was so committed to the role, he ended up having the costume part make him a uh, Roger Rabbit costume, just so he was there on set, you know, to help, you know, with the actors with the lines and stuff and of course they recorded later on in the studios but you had him Kathleen Turner as well doing Jessica Rabbit um June Foray doing the voice of Wheezy and uh, Lena Hyena so you had the Weasels on there as well um like I said definitely like different actors and stuff in there as well Mel Blanc I think that was one of his last uh, films he's done he did the last time he did the voices for the Moon Tunes. This is the final one the last time he did Bugs Bunny in that film because there's a scene where Bugs and Make it come out as well. It says, that was the last time you saw Mel Blanc doing voice work. Because I think a year later he passed away in 1989. So it's one of those films where you can rewatch over again. You can probably watch it with the kids. Yeah, it has some adult humor. It doesn't push too much. There is some adult jokes in it. I think that's why it was like a PG rating for it because it is dark. It's not like wholesome enough. It's that dark reading of a detective noir. Sequence, but like I said, it's a really good detective story. If you're a title, film more, the score is something really great. Like I said, definitely hold doesn't hold up as well because it's like I said, superior piece. But now it's like I said, it's one of those first films they did live action cartoons. I know they tried to rip it off with Cool World, was like a rip off of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They tried to do that with Brad Pitt and stuff, and you can tell how that came out. (laughs) That was worse. But like I said, definitely Who Framed Roger Rabbit, definitely. That's what that's my number
1: three. Mm. So, <laughs> my number two said uh, I did put Pulp Fiction, but since I was mentioned, it's fine. Um, which is okay. Like I, I would say number two would be Pulp Fiction, but um, I'll say that one, and, and it would be a like with the slash with uh, I'll say Avengers uh, Infinity War. I liked it a lot more than Endgame, uh, as it being just fucking kind of the culmination of what led us to after seeing all these marvel films for the past decade and what it's like it's culmination to this two-part ending to that cycle of 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 the story as far as us getting introduced to the characters a decade ago and and leading us into the new the new realm of what the marvel cinematic universe could be and and just how superhero films have have been have been have made such an impact in the in the movie industry as a whole, and just Marvel kind of leading the way in execution of how these films could be portrayed and and how these characters can be brought to life. And I think that one was I feel like a, the stronger movie of the two as far as that and End Games concerned. Uh, I find it a lot more impactful. It was very just from the start. It was it was such a an experience. And I think just from start to end, and and the end being kind of leaving everyone with like a gut punch of how it how it could it left our heroes. And I'm sure by now everyone who listens to this podcast are are, are pretty averse to what pop culture, what what type of pop culture we like to dig our toes into. So like as far as being Marvel fans, like this was a movie that had to be watched, and it was leading up to it. And I mean. The box office spoke for itself it was it's it's one of the highest grossing films of all time it's it also i think merits that because it's a very well done film uh marvel really brought it to the table it it gave us uh, thanos and i think they do a phenomenal job of of making him i want i think capturing the true essence of what his character is and how he i mean Obviously, to capture his whole character from the comics to the film in in, in like a two hour span is almost impossible. But I think of getting a little sprinkle of what this character is. I think they gave us a lot to work with, and I mean, we had people who hated him, we had people who loved him, and we had people who understood it. and And I was one of those persons who was excited to see Thanos bring Broad to the main screen, and and also just loving his character and, and what he, how they portrayed him and basically making that first, that film compared to Endgame as kind of being the Thanos film, making him kind of the forefront in our heroes, taking a back seat, but also still being there to drive the story along to where it's, like, great. Like, because, you know, if you've seen these Marvel films in the past, they do a pretty, not the best job of giving us dynamic enemies they they kind of just don't write their characters very strongly as far as giving us good antagonists are concerned uh, but when it came to this one they definitely did their homework they definitely came and brought us a very strong antagonist to really 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 not like and to see our characters kind of be put in, in a desperate position so I think they did a phenomenal job with that I mean I left the theater feeling like holy shit that was awesome but also like holy fuck what did I just see so Movies like that is what I like to watch, um, and and it's it's honestly it's been a long time since I've seen a superhero movie like that. too it brought us or like some sort of film that had that same similar impact. Uh, other than like when I watched Interstellar, I think, uh, and that's a Christopher Nolan film. So like it's it's just I had to put it at number two just because yeah it, it's culturally relevant. It's of this time. The memes were everywhere. I think. When a movie gets the meme treatment that's when you kind of know that it's it's worth the merit As, as weird as that sounds um due to our digital culture but i think it's important that like these type of films do get the credit they deserve even if some directors out there don't feel that superhero movies should be in hollywood and that's fine they're they're entitled to their own opinion and that's okay but the proof is in the pudding and the money talks so i think Infinity War being number two is is, I'm perfectly comfortable with that decision uh, as far as a film that like I can I can go back and it'll probably hit me the same way that's my number two
0: okay um, number two because I know you had two towers I had the Fellowship of the Ring that's my number two because to me that was like my introduction to the Lord of the Rings lore Um, I it actually got me to read the books and then watch the film afterwards mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause I, I heard people talk about it in school I think I was in high school on the time when that film came out I think in 2001 And not many people talked about it Until after, after it came out and I'm like You know what I'm gonna read the book first In which You know I read the book And then when I saw the film I'm like I was amazed How it took Like You said a lot Biko About Peter Jackson How he put his like Love for the film The J.R. Tolkien Token um, series as well Because it's a long book there's a lot of sequences you can tell um, he had it cut out and try to take this film because this film spread like the book the story itself spreads out for like a number of days but trying to get it all into almost like a three hour film mm-hmm. of course now you, you had now with their um, Blu-ray they have the extended stuff you can see the stuff that didn't make it into the final cut it kind of creases but you get to see sequences that were mentioned in the book but never made it into the final film but you get to see it again and because it's basically the starting point because um, I mean it, it it's a starting point like it gives you a cold premise how you know, how this ring was made. You know, it all follows about this one ring that was made, that was crafted for Sauron, and how he, how different rings, it's the one ring to a Because there's like, these magic rings, but this is the one ring that's powerful, that controls everything. Mm-hmm. And it leads it, to the wars where it's Sauron's army versus like the, the, the alliance between the elves and the humans on Middle Earth. And it goes to this war, and of course, you know, the ring has this thing where someone was fighting in the army his, his hand gets his finger gets chopped off he loses the ring he loses the source of power and of course you know it shows the reason where the ring ends up lining up and stuff and how it has this effect on people like it affects this person's mind it gets like person gets like manipulated almost like possessed like with power craving, creating power kind of shares that relationship between the humans and elves because of course the human elves had a great relationship back then but it got became strained to humanity's creed over this ring
1: which is you know pretty typical to what humanity is so.
0: <laughs> but it goes through different transitions and it leads to because this is a, the books themselves are a sequel to the Hobbit which was J.R.R. Tolkien's first book and then he did a, collect, a compilation book called The Similion. It's I don't know butchering the name but it's like different stories that place in Middle Earth as well but it's a sequel to the Hobbit and of course it follows around this young Hobbit named Frodo who, Pretty much, you know, typical Hobbit, you know, and his his uh, uncle Bilbo is pretty much, you know, he's suffering. His I guess they lived for a long age, or it's his like birthday or something. Of course, Bilbo if you remember he's from the Hobbit, and he has the ring. And all of a sudden, like, Sauron's power to rise, and then of course Gandalf is there, played by uh, Ian McCollum, great actor, great thespian. Um, Sir Ian McKellen. It's a really good cast. You got Elijah Wood, you got Sean Astin, Hugo Mortison, Orlando Bloom. You get this good ensemble cast on there as well. Hugo Weaving, um, John Rice Davies. I mean, come on, it's a really good cast. And Sean Bean, who became known as. He ran around became the meme of every time he's in a film, he gets killed. <laughs> I have to say, he gets killed in every film, any character he portrays. Being that stark being that, that Scar or any other film you only end up playing a character giant ends up getting
1: killed yeah.
0: um, but it was a, it's a really good film Um. I mean the effects I mean there was a lot of CG at that time in 2001 CG wasn't as great back then but they tried to make it work I mean the detail and the makeup and stuff for the characters was phenomenal especially the orcs and stuff it was really you know the makeup and especially the effects that he used to make the hobbits short like perspective and stuff it had to use like stand-ins for the hobbits or for Gandalf and stuff they used to 'Cause hobbits are kinda of like a half human mm-hmm. little person almost aspect. But it, it gives you that life of fantasy and stuff and all a sense of adventure and stuff. And you have like coming away from Mary Pim being the comedic relief of the film. And of course Sam proving his loyalty to Frodo. And of course, like my favorite character, Ghibli, is my favorite character of all well, freaking dwarf man and freaking kicks ass. Him and his little bullying he will have a little rivalry with uh him and um like Liss, the elf. <laughs> he had that little Almost like a budding rivalry at first, but it was almost like a brothership too because they're like teasing each other and stuff. And like I said, it's a really good film that you can watch over and over again, especially if you got the extended editions, you can go back and watch it. Make sure you have a good day to watch it because, like I said, the film is long, but it's one of those films that like, got nominated for Academy Awards. Very cinematic, done really well written, very choreographed. effects are phenomenal from the time it was, you know, shown in. So definitely that's my number two. Alright, Pico, what's your number one of all time?
1: I want to say... Oh, man. I don't rethinking, but no, I'm okay with my number one. My number one film that I will watch at least once or twice a year is the film Goodfellas.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I, in, my, in my frank opinion, it's probably one of the best mafia films ever made or of about gangsters in general. Um, it stars Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro... Joe Pesci, like fucking, uh, who later comes out and um, he oh, I forgot what movie he plays, and even the head boss, um, I can't remember the actual name, but he's in a lot of other films. But those three are the main characters, and it just portrays like gangster life and and and, and all of its aspects, and and just you know them kind of maintain a good business and retain loyalty, and it has all the aspects that you could think of when it comes to a gangster movie, you know, killing drugs. Um, side deals, uh, maintaining this this the maintaining the the code of of ethics within living the gangster life and, and just it's it's a it's a unique film that although its runtime is kind of long as well it it, it it portrays an excellent story on the the growing arc of of a kid who who starts off as you know being a kid and he gets taken into the life and and it shows his his progression and his evolution through you know just being uh a lowly henchman just serving drinks and stuff to to the mob guys and and then take being taken into the family and then taken out and, and becoming his own you know his own uh respected gangster within within his abilities and it's I mean, the best line that it starts off the film is like ever since I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster, and it's Ray Liotta kind of being the main character. Uh, but it's, it, I I love I love how he his how his upbringing was, and it started off, you know, him kind of coming from a, a blue collar family, and him not liking his father very much. His father just working hard, but like was was a dick to his mom, and and he thought that like. That was the only way to get money, and and he didn't like to see his family struggle, and he didn't think he didn't agree with his with his father that like just working that type of job was the only way to get money, and he's like that's not the way. he doesn't want to be like his father because his father was kind of a drunk too, and he would always hit his mom, so like he was like fuck that, there's got to be a better way, and I think that's what kind of led him into the gangster life, and I think it does a good job of showing that like who of a lot of people who are in, I mean living in America kind of are enticed to. I want to say live that type of fast life. So I think it's a film that I constantly love. Uh, Joe Pesci is such an enticing character in that film. He's legendary. And to see him in that and kind of play another gangster. And, and, and to even his mom's in the movie. Like, it, it's fucking, it's so great. Um, there's so many ad-lib lines in that film. There's, I mean, Robert De Niro playing playing uh, an Irish an Irish mobster getting brought into that connection with the family and and I think it's just it captures all the actors best strengths and and it, it, it coming out when I was born it was just a big deal like I, I didn't see it till later in life but I think I, I saw it in high school so like I want to say it was, it was a, I watched it at the perfect time when I was coming of age as well, so like it, 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 I, I related a lot to the main character and, and how he felt. So it, it's just interesting to kind of, it, it being such a prolific film that it's still being watched today, and I love that it's on Netflix. Please watch it if you have a chance. Uh, but I had to put it at number one, because it's, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite films of all time. As far as even gangster movies are concerned, I, 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 I always, I always take the time to watch the new ones that come out. But it's just like there's not a lot that hold, that hold the torch for me like that. And maybe The Godfather are two films that I really love as far as the gangster genre is concerned. But like, Goodfellas always stands out to me because I just I, it, it has so much rewatchability and and it's just so good and enticing and it's a great story. And and who doesn't like I, if you don't love Joe Pesci after watching this film, I don't know what to tell you. Like he. And De Niro just plays a strong character that's always been doing these type of films. So like him, kind of being a little more low, like settled down in tone in this film. But like he, he plays an excellent character as well. It's just it's a fucking ride, and it's so good. Uh, and and the writing's excellent. The, the the dialogue between all three characters, their dynamics, just how it plays on screen, and the evolution of the of the main characters just it's per, it's it's so unique and it's so well done. I don't it's one of those films that I don't think they can ever recapture and I hope that doesn't get the reboot treatment because then it would just be a spit in the face to the director but uh, I just would hope that doesn't get be the case and it can live on as, as being an iconic film but that's my number one it had to be a gangster movie
0: okay my number one film of all time is Spirited Away um, directed by Hayao Miyazaki, that pretty much I think for me is a, one of the best filmmakers of Japanese anime films. He's really internationally well known. A guy who often says he retires, but he goes back to work again. Um, to me, I pick Spirit Of all the films, he's done the loving films I have directed by him. To me, spirit is the one that kind of like he kind of introduced me to the Studio Ghibli films. It, between, because of him, I discovered you know all the other films like like no, My Neighbor Totoro, um, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, Princess Mononoke, The Wind Rises, which is like his most that was the most recent film that he did was Wind Rises. I know he's working on a new film soon, um, but to me that film kind of stands out because it's the whole um, because that's one the thing that kind of put like anime films in the map because it wasn't released too well out here and Disney helped with distribution here in the US and it became one of the first ever foreign film to win the, animated, the Best Animated Feature Award at the Academy Awards and the whole premise is you know, he wrote the script, directed the film said it says here, Miyazaki, i pulled the wiki file of it and said Miyazaki wrote the script and he said the film would be based on a 10 year old daughter of his friend says said the movie's associate producer came to visit his house each summer and basically, the plot is you know, 10 year old Chihiro and her parents are traveling to their new home. Her father, a man who loves to take shortcuts, is up in front of a tunnel leading to what appears to be an abandoned village, which Chihiro's father insists on exploring despite his daughter's misgivings. While exploring, Chihiro finds an exquisite bathhouse and meets a boy named Haku who warns her to return across her bed before sunset. However, Chihiro discovers too late that her parents have been transformed to pigs and she was able to cross the now flooded river. And it's the whole, like, guitar takes inspiration from, like, you know, like, Japanese spirit legends and stuff, like the yokai or demons, as known. And, you know, and her just trying to get her parents. Trying to free her parents at the same time. She's in the spirit world, technically. And all the struggles she had to go through, had to get a job at the bathhouse, House. You know, to the point of having to help to care customers, losing her name. And being called just Sen. Um, yeah. dealing with the wishy baba, And, of course, you get the iconic characters like No-Face in there as well. But, you know, and it's a really good film. The, the animation was really great for the time it came out, it was, it came out in 2001, so about 20 years. <laughs> it's been yeah. 20 years this year. Um, and it, it's just the score itself and the sequences the animation, which is like the backgrounds the story. Like with Miyazaki, he likes to have like these strong female protagonists. Like, usually, Hope basically stores out like these strong female people that he meets in his life. And he likes to have these strong female characters that, you know, they go through the struggles just like the same as male male strong characters. So, that, hey, women can struggle too. They can overcome any adversity, any struggles, any problems, and you to find a way to make it through. And it was all what you hear because you can tell at the beginning of the film she was upset because looks like her parents are moving or something. And she doesn't like to move because it looks like she's missing her friends and stuff. And she's upset. And of course, you know, dad decides to take a pit stop. And of course, don't eat something that wasn't intended for you and of course that's what happens <laughs> and of course you had like characters like no face and like um and little black things that look like little marshmallow oh like yeah the little things, things. Yeah. and then he gives him the, the, the guy just keep the, the cool the, 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 the furnace uh, made a guy with the different arms he's so cool and stuff and he's feeding the guys like candies like he's Japanese so hard candies and stuff and of course the people took pity on her and stuff to help her out unless you know, she was working at the bath the spirit William, the spirit bath of course, she had no face in there as well, and Haku trying to help her out as well. That he was under spell by Yubaba, and of course, she finds out that she has a twin sister who's supposedly the good witch and tries to help her out at the end as well. And it's all about her struggles and trying to get back, get her parents back to the way they were, and pretty much way to get back on the road. Um, it's a really good film definitely check it out the visuals are amazing um, you can watch it in Japanese or English dub because the English dub what's cool about Disney when they did the re-release on Blu-ray with the dubs um, they get all these A-list actors do the voices I mean you get Deve Chase, Deve Chase who Chase who's the voice of you know, of Chihiro who else, she, she also did the voice of Lilo from Lilo Stitch also known and she's also known when she got older as the Ray girl the girl from the ring. Um, you have Jason Marsden, voiced of Haku, um, David Ogden Steers, Susan Pleasant, John Razenberg, Paul Eldine Bob Bergen, Roger Bumpus, Tara Strong, Michael Chiklis, Lauren Holly, Jim Ward, Jack Angel. You get all these talented actors do the English stuff. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: So, but like I said, it's. And when he says, "This is what Miyazaki says," because he puts a quote, why he did these films. He said, "I created a heroine who's an ordinary girl." Someone with whom the audience can sympathize. It's not a story in which the characters grew up, but a story in which they had drawn something already inside them, brought up by a particular circumstances. I want my young friends to live like that, and I think they, too, have such a wish. And that's how he is with his film. That's like, basically, he gives his inspirations by like stuff on the, based on life, and and you see that in these films he does, like, you know, like, there's more no about the environment. You can tell it's like man versus the environment, basically. Yeah. what's a good movie. And like I said, Spirit of Weight, honestly, I, this is one of those films I definitely Very will watch over over and over again. The music, the score soundtrack is really good as well. Um, it says the, skill, the film score was done by the New Japan Philharmonic. Um, and it's really good. Um, definitely something you should rewatch over and over again. And like I said, if you're into like, Japanese like spiritual mythology you interested in it, definitely something that you could look into. <laughs> but like I said, it's one of those films, like I said, that's still talked about. And of course, recently it got surpassed by Demon Slayer Train For overall number one in the Japanese film, box Office. But that, that thing, that movie film held it on for twenty years until Demon Slayer took the record. But definitely that's my number one superior way. Yeah. Alright guys that's pretty much it. I mean, we ran it over for almost like two hours. So definitely check out the films that we listed on there and thank you so much for voting on that poll. See what you guys wanted us to talk about. We'll probably do another poll again and see what you guys want us to talk about next when it comes to like top, you know, things. But I kind of figured this was something that it'd be interesting to see just to give like almost like a recommendation. But to me, this is what our top films are. So hope you guys enjoyed listening to us talk about our top films Check them out when you have the time, especially when we're still technically in the pandemic. Um, like I said, uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Like I said, you can follow the podcast on Anger, Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or where you get your podcast fixed. You can follow the podcast on socials, on Twitter, at Pop Talkin'. You can follow on Facebook at facebook.com slash talking pop. will links to the video to the episodes on there. You can follow my... If you want to follow me, I'm at the TheFanchise85 on Twitter. Um, Biko, where can follow you follow me on socials?
1: Uh, you can follow me on uh, on Instagram at uh, Wander underscore the underscore void. Uh, it's where I post mainly art stuff, funny memes, uh, things to kind of make you feel introspective. Uh, and just stuff I come across on, on a semi-daily basis. Uh, but yeah, please follow me on there. I'm going to probably be uploading some more music stuff soon into my SoundCloud. So just check it out. And uh, please follow, and, and we'll see how things go.
0: And also, if you're into gaming and stuff, you can follow me on twitch.tv slash franchise 685 I'm the casual gamer, and I play a lot of like, JRPGs, or so pretty much story-based games. Um, Definitely, if you're a fan of anime or JRPGs, you can follow me on there as well. That's it. Have a good night. As always, geek on. Take care. We'll check on you guys again next week.